the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Bob France, here on AM 1420, The Answer. Yes, indeed, and hour number two is underway now. Eight minutes, almost nine minutes to one. There it is. Nine minutes after the hour as we uh, continue on this Tuesday, the 25th morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord. What does May 25th mean to you? One year since the death of George Floyd, and we saw protests nationwide, the conviction of Derek Chauvin, and looming trials for other former officers in Minneapolis. Policing is going to change because all we could think about is the need on the neck of George Floyd for nine minutes and 29 seconds. Al Sharpton marking three days of remembrance of George Floyd, whose family is set to meet with President Joe Biden at the White House today, marking the day that's also led to battles over progressive efforts nationwide to defund police departments. To defund police departments. Nothing says honoring George Floyd quite like making sure that more people of color are murdered every single year in American inner cities. Joining us now to talk about this and much more, as it is Tuesday and 10 o'clock, is our good friend Peter Kersenow. Member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. Was a member of the now defunct 1776 President's Commission. Also a Cleveland attorney, host of the Kersenow Report, and a best-selling author and columnist as well. Well, hey, Pete, what's going on? Well, Bob, I just want to correct you on something. 1776 Commission may have been disbanded by Biden, but it's not defunct. In fact, we had a meeting just yesterday. Uh, I had to participate by Zoom because I had work to do here, but a number of our members did meet in Washington, D.C., and almost all of our members were able to make the meeting either by Zoom or in person. And without going into a whole lot of detail, we've got a lot of work to do, and we're going to be continuing to do the work regardless of whether or not the Biden administration uh, is going to recognize us. We think it's extremely important that uh, the folks who are on the commission who've got just ex- just awesome intellectual firepower weigh into the current debates related to the critical race theory, the direction in which this country is going related to all manner of educational issues, the, the, very, the corruption of academia to a large extent. Uh, so we're going to keep working on it. We've got a lot of things in the fire. We'll be issuing a brief statement on critical race theory soon. And we did issue um, a comment uh, in the notice of comment uh, uh, with respect to the uh, notice of proposed rulemaking on critical race theory, where the Biden administration is going to offer $6 billion in funding, K-12, through to schools that teach critical race in the 1619 Project. It's That's an abomination, and it needs to be stopped. Hard to do so because, you know, look, uh, regardless of the, there was, I think, 15,000 comments that were submitted related to critical race theory. I haven't reviewed them all. I suspect most were critical. I submitted my own personal comment, one as a member of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, and then, as I said, the 1776 Commission issued a comment. And these, these comments actually help. Uh, they're, they're not going to change the Biden administration's mind as to whether or not it should issue this rule. But what it'll do is it provides intellectual ammunition in the fight against critical race theory. And also, I've been involved in several lawsuits where we take the comments to rules, to legislation, proposed regs, that is, 
um, and we litigate them. We, we challenge them, and I've, I've been successful in overturning a couple of them. So we'll see what happens. Wow. <laughs> All of that came from, good morning, Pete, how are you? You're, 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 you are a shaken up beer can. That's what you are. I just popped it up. Here it comes. <laughs> we are going to get more into CRT, Pete, and I'm glad you gave us a little bit. I'm also glad to hear, thank you for the correction, that the 1776 commission still exists, even though it is not necessarily presidential ordered any longer because of, uh, because of Biden. But I'm so glad, as Larry Elder often says, we've got a country to save, and you and the other members of that commission are endeavoring to save it. So thank you for that clarification and for that great piece of news. Now, Pete, um, first of all, I, I mentioned to you in a message this morning, um, I, you know, I, I'm not trying to be flippant and I'm not trying to be silly about it. I believe it. Um, within a year's time, by the time we get to the second anniversary of the death of George Floyd, there will be a resolution introduced on the House floor by Democrats slash Democrats um, to, to create May 25th as a national holiday. Um, I, I firmly believe they will take this career criminal who I think he spent eight years in prison, spanned out over four different prison terms for a variety of terrible crimes, including a home break in in which he, um, held a gun to the stomach of a pregnant woman while his colleagues and his, uh, uh henchmen, uh, uh, ransacked the house and stole everything they could. Um, he's being made out to be a martyr. He's being made out to be St. George the Floyd, um, uh, they're going. They're going to. They're going to move for a holiday here. Is that out of the realm of possibility? No, no, I don't think so at all. I think that they will. They definitely. Even if it's not at the federal level, mm-hmm. um, it will be at various state levels. They're going to try to do it, and just the effort to do it is part of the strategy, I believe, on the part of the progressives because they want to keep at the forefront this false narrative that the United States is evil. Police are, by extension, evil. That they do nothing but. They don't prevent crime. They don't arrest true criminals or anything like like that. All they do is uh, attack minorities, and they must be defunded. They're going to continue to do that. And what better way to do that than to have a memorial to somebody who exemplifies that? So it will be a constant, almost yearly effort with respect to the defund the police and the delegitimization of the United States generally. That's part of their function. So, I, Bob, I think you're, you're onto something here. I think that uh, there's a very good probability. If it doesn't get passed, it's not for lack of effort. Yeah, it'll it'll at least be proposed, and that's it. Just it blows my mind that that's where we are, and and that leads me, Pete, into what I kind of started when I introduced you, and I played that clip. Uh, you know, violent crime is spiking all over this country, particularly in the largest cities, in the biggest urban areas, inner city areas, mostly minority populated. Um, violent crime is spiking. We're talking about murders. We're talking about rapes. We're talking about assaults and robberies. Uh, all of these things are happening because, as we know, police have been defunded or. Uh, defunded through the back door. Um, here in Cleveland, I, I quoted this um, last hour, and let me give it to you just so we people know what we're talking about when we say defunded. It isn't necessarily passing a law saying this much money is being removed from the police budget, even though that is happening in many cities. It's being defunded by attrition. In Cleveland, they are down 67 cops this year already. This is before May, and we're almost at the end of May. They'll be graduating a class out of the academy of 34 at the end of July. So you can already see the deficit there. And the prognostication is, according to uh, uh, filings, is that there will be 100 to 140 retirements by that time, by the end of July. 
So they are literally defunding the police through attrition, allowing people to retire or leave the force because they're terrified of what's waiting for them if they make the wrong move or the wrong decision. Uh, they can't get enough people to vo- volunteer to join the uh, the academy classes. So, you know, how how glorious of a memorial to George Floyd is it to have thousands and thousands more black people killed every year by other black people because there's no cops policing the black neighborhoods anymore. Is this what they wanted, Pete? Yeah, it is. And you're right. Those figures are are not uh, exaggerated. We're talking about thousands more people, and most of them black, being killed as a result. And big surprise, you know, you and I, a year ago, to the, almost to the day, I mean, we almost immediately after George Floyd was, uh, the, the George Floyd incident occurred, we predicted that there was going to be a spike in crime uh, because that's what we see all the time because of the Ferguson effect, and the Ferguson effect was compounded by this insane effort to defund the police. And so you've got people who are being reticent about joining the, the force. They're retiring, as you indicated. Homicides in Minneapolis, the, area, the city of George Floyd, are up. Now, you know, in any given year, you may see a fluctuation in crime rates of 4 or 5%, usually right around 2 3% fluctuation. Nothing ever remains flat or the same, okay? But, you know, in a, a peak year where there's a significant increase, you might see a 10 to 12% increase. In Minneapolis, there's a 108% increase in homicides, 153% in shooting, and carjackings are up 222%. Now, I had said uh, a year ago that I expected that there would be at least double-digit increases and possibly triple-digit increases, but these numbers impress even me. This is ridiculous. People are getting killed. People are being hurt. Property is being damaged. And most of the folks that are being killed are black. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's mostly black-on-black crime, but it, it affects all strata of society. And this attrition issue is a major one because it's happening all across the country. No one, people are leaving and retiring early. Fewer people are going into the police academies. It's um, an effort on the part of the left. I mean, they want, you know, there's a question as to whether or not this is part of a Cloward-Piven strategy. That is, the, these two academics who maintain that the whole system needs to be overwhelmed so that, that collapses and you can rebuild it in the fashion that Marxists wanted to rebuild. And I think we're seeing that right now. It sounds bizarre. The whole theory used to sound bizarre. You know, the theory is at least 60 years old. Mm-hmm. But you can't argue in any other fashion than the policies that we see now. Lee Smith, the great columnist, <clears throat> says that it appears that democratic policies are designed specifically to destroy America. And I know a lot of your listeners believe that anyway. But nonetheless... You, you, it's almost inescapable if you said, give me a host of actions that people could take in order to see the dissolution of a democratic republic, and they'd come up with what the Democrats are doing right now, the insane spending, the lack of border control that's overwhelming the southern, the southern part of our country, and people are going to other areas of the country with the assistance of the Biden administration, China our complete capitulation to China and not keeping up with their military advancements. And we, what do we do after they release the Wuhan virus? We give them our vaccine technology, the Keystone Pipeline. You know, it, we're shutting down fossil fuels. The first thing Biden does when he comes in office is shut down Keystone, but then he greenlights the Russian pipeline, the, the Russian pipeline of Germany. You know, the critical race theory, which I believe may be the greatest threat of all because it, 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 
it is a subtext under everything else that we're doing. The weaponization of our federal law enforcement agencies, the, the FBI. It, this is amazing stuff. The woke military, the academy, everything else, big tech, woke corporations. Um, it's, it's extraordinary that what's happening. I know many of your listeners, wherever I go, every place I speak, and I know that uh, when I have an opportunity to listen to your program, your listeners are aware that we may be in a critical juncture in America. Now, yeah, we say that it seems almost every year. But the critical mass of toxic policies that are being imposed on the United States of America has never been greater in our lifetimes. We are seeing, a, as Barack Obama said, the fundamental transformation of America, and it's being transformed in an awful and, in some cases, evil way. No question about it, Peter Kirsten. Now, the good news is is that while the federal government is pushing, as you say, for critical race theory, what did you say was a $600 billion uh, fund to push critical race theory into classroom, six classrooms? Billion. Six, six billion. Six billion. Okay, sorry. I thought they were pushing up toward another trillion. Why not under Biden? But the good news is states are pushing back. At least four states, either through their legislatures or their governors, have made it clear that uh, the 1619 Project and critical race theory will not be taught in their public schools. So we'll talk about the good news there as we continue with Peter Kirsten right after this on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 1023, we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, I want to give you a little bit of the uh, pushback here. Vernon Jones uh, on Fox News. As you take in young people who who next to another young person and pitting one against the other, and you saying to even white children, look, you are responsible for what happened uh, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and they don't have a clue. So it, it being race-based, and you're teaching about it, but you're teaching in a way that you're teaching racism. It does not make any sense. I'm totally against it. Georgia shouldn't have it. I call on our governor to stop it. I was with the local uh, school board just recently the other night. Uh, I had my representative there saying, look, ban it in those local schools. There's no place for critical race theory. We can't talk about history. We can't talk about things that we know about. But let's not take a, think, uh, I should say, teach about things we don't know about where it's become an abuse. And it's racism, and it's race-based. It's racism, and it's race-based. Peter, critical race theory um, is is the primary driver behind the quote-unquote anti-racism movement by Ibram X. Kendi, who wrote a, wrote a book about this and has essentially found it in, in school curricula all over the country. Uh, you are either racist, according to this, or you are anti-racist. Which one do you want to be? And if you're anti-racist, you then have to be racist against white people. Anti-racism is intentionally demeaning and degrading and demonizing the white race because uh, of the systemically racist country we are in. And the only way to reverse that is to is to become racist against white people. How on earth can that possibly bring uh, a nation together? Again, it's a prescription for civil war, whether it's a, a hot civil war or a cold civil war. And we're currently emerging into a cold civil war. People are at each other's throats. And they don't want to be, but they're almost being compelled to be by elites who compel us to go to diversity, inclusion, and equity training, where we're being told this poison, this anti-racist poison. Consider for just a moment, if we can step back, 
because this has happened so quickly, but just a, just a couple of years ago, if you were told by anybody, as Ibram Kendi, by the way, his name is Henry Rogers, um, if you were told by anybody that the cure for past discrimination is present discrimination, and the cure for present discrimination is future discrimination. In other words, perpetual discrimination across the board is what's going to occur. Yeah. This is the nuttiest thing in the world, yet in academia, it's flourishing everywhere. And now it's being imposed through woke corporations. Almost every company that's of any size has a mandatory diversity and inclusion training where you're browbeaten, and, and not just whites are browbeaten, and not just males, but everybody is browbeaten, but clearly the emphasis is on whites and males, that somehow you are evil, and there's nothing you can do about it. You've got the stain of, of discrimination, the stain of racism upon you simply because of your chromosomes. I can't think of anything, number one, more insane, more stupid, and more calculated to completely unravel the fabric of a society. This is why the, the one thing I'm a little bit heartened by is that the left may have stepped on a third rail and did so openly and, and quickly. In other words, they're trying to push something so radical, so transparently inane that almost everybody's kind of awakened and said, whoa, 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 what's going on here? I get contacted almost daily by parents or parents groups. I know a lot of other individuals who are similarly engaged in the kind of things that I do who are contacted. Now, there's, there's only so much I can do, but there are organizations. Christopher Rufo's got a, a phalanx of attorneys who are filing charges and lawsuits uh, on these, under these circumstances. Mm-hmm. But parents, even woke parents, are looking at this, even if they're parents. They're looking at this and they're going, my kid is being subjected to this lunacy. It is harming him. And they're saying enough is enough. So I'm hopeful that this pushback, which is occurring on so many different levels, the uh, local level, state level, and to some extent it's happening at the federal level, and the federal government is imposing this now, as opposed to Donald Trump had issued an executive order that would have mandated that uh, anybody who has a federal contract, any, any federal agency could not be engaged in this kind of training. Nonetheless, there is a pushback orchestrated against the federal government on this. They indicated 15,000 plus comments to the notice of proposed rulemaking on critical race theory. So uh, I'm heartened a little bit by that, but let's face it. The powers that be at every level are pushing this frantically, hoping that with this kind of ideology, they'll finally achieve their socialist nirvana. And they've got a fair chance of doing it unless we push back hard. We need to do things that on a, on a, on a 50,000 foot level that really control these things, such as, you know, Josh Hawley and his uh, big tech censorship uh, initiative, along with uh, DeSantis down in Florida. Those things are imperative. They're imperative because much of this is coming from social media and the big tech censorship of certain attitudes and ideas. So at almost every level, whether you are a parent at the local level you know, appearing at your school board meetings and raising holy hell about it, whether you're an attorney who's filing lawsuits, um, whomever you are, this is something that requires all hands on deck, requires incredible pushback, because this is the tip of the spear for the left at this particular point. They think that if they just have a couple more years of critical race training, game over. And look at how it's permeated everywhere. It's at the academies. West Point is, is having this kind of training. We're seeing it in the military, and, and you know, the, the, the various recruitment ads that we see are inane. And if our military and law enforcement 
becomes invested in critical race training, we're doomed. There's the no question are about it. Us, and and, the and they are. are looking at us and they're laughing. Our mil- you, you just literally hit right on the head what we're going to talk about on the other side of the news, Peter Now That is exactly correct. Other nations are laughing at us. Ben Dominich uh, was talking, and I've got a clip here of him. Other nations are laughing at us for embracing critical race theory. Our military is more concerned with DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, than they are military preparedness. Uh, and yes, um, it is, you know, they're right. If they can just get this taught for a couple of years, it's game over. And while I told you there is good news, Florida, Texas, and other states have outlawed critical race theory altogether from their schools there are other states that are saying it is going to be compulsory and i'll share that part of it with you too peter as we continue am 1420 the answer okay it's 10 34 we continue on this tuesday now with peter kersenow united states commission on civil rights and many more uh, I told you there was good news, Peter Kersenow, and everyone listening right now, because the governors and state legislatures are stepping up. Here is a small example of that down in Florida. The great Ron DeSantis said. It's offensive to the taxpayer that they would be asked to fund critical race theory, that they would be asked to fund teaching kids to hate their country and to hate each other. And it's also, it's also based on false history. When they try to look back and, and, and denigrate the founding fathers, denigrate the American Revolution, doing all these different things that even very liberal historians say is not supported by the facts. And so I think what we need is we need the Constitution back in classrooms. We need to make sure civics is a priority. But it needs to be taught accurately. It needs to be taught in a fact-based way, not an ideological-based way. And we are if we have to play whack-a-mole all over the state stopping this critical race theory, we will do it. What I would rather... And that is a great, that is a great message by, uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, Peter. And then to pivot to Texas, this one isn't even Greg Abbott, who also supports, uh, a ban on critical race theory, but it is the legislature, Texas's legislature, uh, a Senate rather, specifically the Senate on Saturday, um, uh, voted to, uh, ban critical race theory from being taught throughout the state of Texas. Also, uh, uh, put a ban on bullying and intimidation related to diversity training, uh, in, in, uh, corporations as well. But the flip side of that is, this is one you may or may not have seen, Pete, in Oregon, uh, a school superintendent there, there's leaked audio of a, of a superintendent telling teachers that critical race theory is, isn't optional anymore, saying, quote, I want to get the message out that this anti-racism training isn't optional anymore. We've waited for the willing, and if you're not willing, then maybe this isn't the right place for you to work. Maybe we can free up your future, because if we're going to become an anti-racist school district, it can't be just a few people. It needs to be everybody, to include our staff, students, community, and eventually everyone. And obviously, Pete, we just talked about anti-racism and uh, how it is drawn from critical race theory uh, and uh, was popularized by Ibram Kendi. Lots of administrators, such as the one you just quoted, are getting their shorts handed to them, uh, if I can speak that way, by parents and others who are incensed by this. Uh, It's happening all over the country, and it's happening with great alacrity, thank goodness, because it's happening almost faster than critical race theory has permeated so many of our institutions. But we're seeing it at the local level. Every parent needs to get up and start 
demanding that this stuff be expelled, expunged from their curricula. This is this is just the worst thing in the world. Kudos to Texas. Um, you know, I've drafted some legislation. Uh, I'm still waiting for Ohio to adopt some of, some of these uh, provisions. In Texas, I looked at their legislation, and one of the members of the 1776 Commission was the person who actually drafted much of that Texas bill, which is outstanding. I looked at it, and it's better than, than what I drafted. It is very good. It should be a model for every state because, among other things, it doesn't merely ban, and it, it's kind of a misnomer to say ban critical race theory, but it bans indoctrination, and there's, there are constitutional issues and stuff like that that the bill addresses extremely well. But nonetheless, we're talking about not just critical race theory, but what's known as action civics. That is, what's happening in many of our institutions is critical race combined with this notion of action civics, where they're telling kids to get involved in political endeavors, not just telling them, instructing them and almost coercing them to do so. And all of it from a progressive point of view. It's, it, it is more than indoctrination now. Now what we're doing is we're seeing the, the little Maoists being sent out into the street and in, into institutions to uh, spread the progressive ideology out there, put it into mm -hmm. action. Bob, it's not an exaggeration. It is not an exaggeration to say that this is the kind of totalitarianism we saw during the um, Cultural Revolution in China and in other totalitarian places. And um, uh, some parents, many parents are awakening to this. The threat is real. It needs to be addressed immediately. And we do have some very good governors who, and, and state legislatures who are on top of it. Uh, there are at least a half a dozen where bills have been passed already. Florida is doing a really good job. I don't know where our governor is on this, you know, and I know that legislation is been, has been percolating. I personally know this in the General Assembly why it's taken time to be introduced. Now, I understand there's certain political issues that need to be addressed. You want to make sure you get everybody on board. But if your listeners are at all concerned about this, and they better be, get in touch with your state representative and say, what the heck is going on? And I would use stronger language than I just used, Bob, frankly. What the heck is going on with critical race, and why can't you get on board with some of these other states that are showing the way? I'd use Texas as a model, maybe Florida also. And, you know, there are a lot of things you can do at the local level, too. And I know that many uh, parents have organized on the local level. This must be done loudly. It must be done frequently. It must be done pervasively. And for those timid GOP types, you know, the stupid party, the Democrats are on top of stuff. They, they look, they, they are active. They are political. They do things. They see issues that they think they can use. They spot them, and then, boom, they're off to the races. This issue is maybe the most salient, the most powerful issue that the GOP will ever see in our lifetimes. We have seen people who've never been politically involved become agitated beyond belief, become politically motivated, doing it from the grassroots, and they're, they're not waiting for their representatives to take action. They're taking action on their own. We've seen a number of school board elections already where the entire school board has been expelled and ordinary parents have been elected. Uh, in, in some of the most woke places also, if the GOP had any sense whatsoever, just from the standpoint of political expediency and, and survival, they would seize upon this issue and run with it, even if they didn't care about it, and they should care about it, but only, for, as I said, from the standpoint of furthering their own political ambitions, even if they were just these crude uh, kind of narcissists who only care about where they're going, my God, here, 
on a silver platter is the issue of not just the year, of the decade and probably Mm -hmm. half century. Nothing has motivated in my lifetime anything like critical race, uh, parents, anything like critical race theory. Um, Oklahoma, Idaho, and Tennessee, by the way, Pete, are three states that have already acted to ban critical race theory from schools. So there's a couple of models there as well. You mentioned Texas, you mentioned Florida, and I agree, but there are other three other states that have already done it. You also answered your own question when you said, I don't know where our governor is on this. Then you described timid GOP types. That's your answer. That's what our governor is. Pete, <laughs> I don't I mean to, t- to be pejorative with respect to the governor or anything else like I that, do. but my goodness. This is something, I don't care about lotteries for vaccines or any other kind of goofy things like that. This is something imperative for our state and our children. Get it done now. No excuses. Agreed completely, and I will indeed be pejorative when it comes to Mike DeWine. Now, having said that, I want you to hear Ben Dominish real quick, because I want this to, to be our last point on this, which is, the danger that it puts us, forget about the cultural issue, the societal issue, the social justice issue, the, uh, uh, you know, the, the division among blacks and whites and so forth that all of this kind of thing creates. There is a national security component to this as well because other nations are watching. And Trace, the other nations around the world are laughing at us when it comes to this. I mean, you saw what happened when uh, China met with uh, the Biden officials in Alaska and w- were, you know, downgrading their ability to have any moral authority because of America's policing policy. Other nations around the world are laughing at America's embrace of this woke religion that is critical race theory, which, if you look at the polls, and I'm sure Kristen can speak to this, you know, appeals primarily to white uh, left-of-center Democrats, uh, as opposed to actually, you know, solving any problems uh, for uh, ethnically diverse Americans. You know, Hispanic Americans in particular are reacting to this politically. Uh, the, the stretch of critical race theory into these public schools is something that they do not view as being in any way in favor of trying to teach their students the skills that they need in order to succeed in the marketplace, which is the American dream, is still the American dream, and it's not racist to say that. So that got away from Ben at the end there as he morphed into schools and the marketplace, but the first part, it's about what other nations are doing and what they're seeing, and they're laughing at us. You have probably seen the viral video of the Russian military recruiting ad Mm -hmm. juxtaposed with the American military recruiting ad that's going on now. The United States military has gone full woke. They care more about CRT training. They care more about DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, than they do about military preparedness. And, Pete, I've said this before, and tell me if you disagree, that we had better have the best State Department in the history of this country and be able to solve all of our international woes diplomatically. Because if it comes down to a war, we will lose with the current military in the shape that it's in, uh, with leadership from Lloyd Austin, and I'm sorry, he is absolutely complicit in all of this, as, of course, is the commander-in-chief and the stuff that we are seeing with respect to recruiting videos. We will lose for the first time, I think, if we end up going to war with the wrong country. Your thoughts? Uh, My thoughts go, uh, I, I, I concur with what you're saying. I'm not sure we would lose, but we can't even afford the possibility of that happening. That's the thing, not with respect to the current state of affairs in the world and the ascendancy of China. But I will say this, this goes beyond just our countries laughing at us. Our enemies are laughing at us, but our allies are alarmed. I've heard from people in Europe, by the way. You know, Europe, NATO, still dependent on us. They look at, at us as the bulwark against totalitarianism coming from Russia and even China now, too. Uh, and also the, the radical Islamists in Iran. <clears throat> 
they're looking at us and are saying, that, you know, they want a strong America. They want a, a military that will act as a deterrent against an aggressive Russia and others. And they're looking at what's happening here, and they're alarmed, and they're a little, little afraid because they don't have the wherewithal to do this. They went woke a long time ago. And they know what happened to them. They don't have sufficient armed forces to do anything. They depend on the United States of America for defense. So you're exactly right, Bob. China, that is, uh, you know, if you've watched, in, uh, I have a tendency to read Jane's Defense Weekly. Um, you know, it's got everything you need to know about the current state of, of warfare and uh, military weaponry, etc. Um, and if you read publications like that, over the course of the last several years, you become, I'll use the word again, alarmed at what's happening in China. The buildup that they're having in every facet of their military is astonishing. Much of it fueled by stolen technology. They didn't even have to steal some of it. I mean, Clinton gave them much of our technology. I mean, the stuff that we're doing to derogate our national security interests is is virtually treasonous. It's ex- extraordinary, and the Chinese are just picking up on it. To the extent we're not giving them stuff, they, they steal it. But they've been building up their navy, their air force. They have a space uh, a component now. That, you know, many of Americans, because we're so focused on trivialities, or at least our media is, don't even realize that the Chinese space program is making rapid strides, and they're militarizing space. They are on Mars already. They have a rover on Mars. A lot of people don't recognize that. They have been going forward by leaps and bounds, and their military is not going through critical race training. You cannot have unit cohesion. I am not, I've never served in the military, but got tons of relatives who have, and I have at least a little sense of this, and common sense tells you that in the military, you cannot function without unit cohesion, and in the military, merit is all. And when you have disparate groups within a unit fighting against one another or suspicious of one another or, or uh, making claims against one another on the basis of immutable characteristics, you cannot have unit cohesion. You are not going to have an efficient fighting force. You don't have the kind of esprit de corps and morale necessary to defeat the enemy. You know, in, in, you will talk to Vietnam veterans. Many of you have called your show, and they call me, and they will tell you that in that war, which was unpopular, because the left, again, after getting us into the war, decided that ah, we changed our minds. Because it was unpopular, to a large extent, when you talk to Vietnam veterans, they will tell you, yes, we're fighting for our country, but more so, we're fighting for ourselves. Black, white, it didn't matter who it was, but Mm -hmm. we were fighting as a unit for ourselves because, to some extent, our nation had abandoned us. And you have to have non-discrimination. You can't have the the seeds of division sown throughout the military and expect to have an effective fighting force sufficient to beat some of our most formidable adversaries like Russia. Look. Russia is formidable, but China is on the ascendancy. Those are the guys who are going to be our enemy in the near future. We better make sure that we are at least as cohesive as they are. Uh, that's a, that's a great point. And the last thing, Pete, I want to give you since we've I played you know Ben Dominich, who's kind of on our side on this. I played for you, um, uh, Vernon Jones and others. I have Bob Woodson here queued up, but it's too long. I'm going to squeeze this in because it's less than a minute. Somebody from the other side, including or rather specifically the founder or the writer, the chief author of the 1619 Project work of fiction, Hannah Nicole Jones. Again, that has not ever existed. So what we it's important to listen to. What they're actually arguing, they're saying we can't talk about our past because it is shameful. They're not able to say that this is not the truth of our history, but that we shouldn't teach children our history because it's shameful. 
I don't think anyone who reads critical race theory has ever seen it say white people should feel bad about being white. It does say that racism is embedded in our institutions. And until we acknowledge that, then we will not be able to undo the harm of racism. But none of this, the 1619 Project, uh, critical race theory, anti-racism training is about making white people feel badly about things that they have not done. Peter Kirsten, your response. Everything she just said is a lie, including the and and the the. That was one of the most despicable displays I've heard in my lifetime. I'm sorry for being agitated, but we are fighting a battle for the survival of the, of the soul of the United States of America here. And we're permitting these... Uh, I was about to use a pejorative, but I'm going to try to be better than that. <laughs> we're allowing these individuals to dictate the terms of the debate using falsehoods that are provably lies and our major institutions in a race to be woke and to get kudos from the um, woke, the woke Arati are embracing this and pushing it down on the rest of society. Look, I'm not telling your, your listeners what to do. Um, <laughs> yes, I am. Please fight this with everything, all your strength, all your soul, all your intellect, do it because this is a struggle for the United States of America. That sounds histrionic, but I believe it to be, frankly, somewhat understated because that struggle implies that's going to occur over a period of time. This is happening in real time. It's happened so quickly that we might not have any options after a couple of years of this stuff being permeating throughout the society. And again, remember, it's at every level. That's why it has to be a multi-front battle, but parents... If you care at all about the society into which your kids are going to be growing up in, and you care at all about whether or not the United States is going to be anything remotely like what you had remembered it to be, then you have to take the battle to the state boards of education. If I'm not going to tell you what to do if your employers do this. You have to keep your jobs, everything like that. But you don't have to smile during the diversity and inclusion training. You don't have to do that. You know, you do whatever it takes to preserve your job, but by the same token, you don't have to go along with this idiocy. This is vile, it's ridiculous, and just because your employer wants to go along with it doesn't mean that you have to accept it. Peter Kersenow, laying it out as only Peter Kersenow can. Hey, Pete, I want to tell everybody next week you will not be on with me on Tuesday as I will be out. In fact, I'll be out all week, which opens up the door for your next appearance on Friday, sitting in and guest hosting. So to all of our listeners, you get unfiltered and, uh, well, I can't say completely no time limited, Peter Kersenow. You still only have two hours, but you do get the full two hours on Friday, Pete. I really appreciate you sitting in. I know you're going to have a great show. Thanks for the opportunity, Bob. Take care. Always my honor. Thank you, Peter. Peter Kirsten out, 1052, right back after this. Yeah, that's going to do it for this edition of The Authority. Thanks so much for uh, being with us. Uh, just in kind of in closing, I uh, I put a couple of things online today on my Facebook page. Yes, I'm still using it while I can get something positive out of it. And one of them I just posted during the last commercial break, just minutes ago. Um, on the one anniversary, one year anniversary of George Floyd's death, which is today, uh, I felt like it was worth reminding everybody exactly of who it is that people are crying and wailing and gnashing their teeth about. Now, I'm not suggesting that George Floyd should have died 
And I'm not defending Derek Chauvin in any way. And neither was Candace Owens in the video that I just posted to my Facebook page. She posted it on June 3rd, so roughly, what, eight days after George Floyd's death, and information became available about George Floyd. The headline of her video is, I do not support George Floyd, and I refuse to see him as a martyr. It is 18 minutes of pure truth that you should hear. So if you are a Facebook friend of mine or have access to somebody sharing this, by all means, watch it. And maybe we'll talk about this tomorrow as we continue this discussion. Stay where you are for right now because Mike Gallagher's coming up. Gallagher is coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.